This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. I am Mark Hamilton. Joining me, as always, is my friend, colleague, co-worker, partner in crime, Mr. Mark Daly. We have a ton of stuff to get to today. The Formula One community is still in a total uproar, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes. But before we get there, let's get through our typical preamble. My friend, how are you? (laughs) Well, good. I mean, anything that we can do to maybe avoid talking about what we need to talk about is probably the way to go this evening because, man, it's been almost a week and people are angry. And I totally get it, uh, by the way, but wow. Just uh, what a crazy, crazy, crazy week to follow up was a crazy, crazy, crazy race, right? But uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm excited for a different reason for once because we're we're in the off season, which is something I always kind of dreaded because I was like, how do I fill and create content for <laughs> you know, the, the next two months? But we, we got a lot of things covered, so I'm not worried about that. But what I am excited about is that it's uh, to, tomorrow is going to be Friday, December 17th. It's my last day of work for a couple of weeks. I got, uh, I'm taking some time off, really looking forward to that. And I, I was really upfront with the people in the office today. And they, they said, well, what are you going to do when you come into work tomorrow? I'm just like, you know what? I got everything done that I needed to do to get out the door this week. So that's all taken care of. And they said, okay, well, what's on, like, what's on the schedule tomorrow? I said, well, to be quite honest, I'm just going to come in and I'm just going to surf the net all day and just uh, socialize. I said, basically what I do every day, time I'm in the office, but I'm just being upfront and honest about it this time. So, And but, anyone uh, that knows you, by the way, knows that's pure nonsense. You are the hardest working guy in your industry. Oh, gosh. I know, but it's it's funny. I've, I've just, uh, I, I'm feeling it uh, already. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the holiday vibes and, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood, despite everything that's gone on in F1 over the past uh, week or so but uh, yeah and you're looking good yourself uh, you're looking rested even though I know that your your house because you're you're recording at a different place than usual and I know that your little DIY project your reno in the in the office downstairs isn't quite going to schedule let's just put it that way no it's not I had uh, I had wild ambitions about what I was going to create because I watch a lot of these I, lo- I watch a lot of these hip-hop documentaries and I see these wild studios and I'm like you know I can build something like that a little wallpaper a big TV on the wall a new floor some, some <laughs> studio speakers and within a week I'm wildly over budget and nothing has come in and I don't know who's going to mount I don't know who's going to put the wallpaper on the wall it's a total disaster so half the basement is in our living room right now blocking the Christmas tree and I'm recording well, this sitting on the floor in my living room so you know, thank hope, goodness I have a new laptop hopefully Exhibit is listening to this and he can come and pimp your basement so yeah, you well, know we'll see we'll see we'll what see happens I was a we big might have to call fan. in the pros we might have to call in the whoever that is we might have to call someone to to uh, to to rescue you 
Anyone got the phone number for Geek Squad? No, that's a plug. Mark, you cannot plug that. Stop, stop, stop. What was I going to say? I had another point. Oh, yeah. So part of the plan was that this week I'm off. So I'm, I'm off this week. And then I work the next two weeks. So I'll be working over Christmas. And then Boo. I get the first week of January off. And I'm cool oh, nice. with that. That's cool. But... Uh, but I'll be work. I'll be getting the first week of January off. But one of the things I'd planned to do this week was mm-hmm. I wanted to get the office done, and I wanted to start working on our YouTube channel. So I wanted to help us take our visuals to the next level because yeah. I think there's a ton of growth opportunity within the YouTube platform. But one of the things that I failed to recognize was that. As my wife and my son landed back in the country last week, Mm -hmm. because he's under five, they don't test them. And because he's under five, he's not vaccinated. So he's under a mandatory 14-day quarantine before he can go back to daycare. So he's been with me every, and my wife's working. So he's been with me every minute of the day. And I love him to pieces. He's not violent. He's not destructive, but he is so high energy. I love how that's the first two words to describe your son are like, he's not violent (laughs) and he's not destructive. Okay. Baby boys typically are. (laughs) Yes, typically. It's just like every 30 seconds, like, Baba, 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 Baba. And he speaks fluent Farsi, and I don't. So typically, I'm I'm trying to translate what he's telling me, and then he gets frustrated because I don't understand what he's saying. Oh, he's, it's been a blast. Like I've had some really quality time with him this week, but I haven't been as productive, but I think, I think that's okay because I'm spending a little bit of, a little bit of time with family. Yeah, totally. You get a bit major pass, you know, spending time with your son like that. Uh, so. That said, I think we've got to cut the preamble short, man. And oh, man. I think as much to? as you and I want to avoid the topic, and I've really been avoiding it all week because obviously we recapped the outcome of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix during our Sunday show, which dropped Monday. I think that that podcast was very well received, at least in the way that we positioned our interpretation of what had happened. I was hoping, I was hoping, and I I think this was a lost cause, but I was hoping that we would have, there would have been some relief or some sort of resolution as the course of the week went over. And I kind of distanced myself from the world of Formula One over the last couple of days. And I certainly tried to stay away from Formula One Twitter and Formula One social media, but we had a spaces Mm. chat tonight and it was really great. And there was some really great conversation, but what was immediately clear to me, and and it has been based on the conversations and the tweets and the, the DMs that we've had this week, is that people are overwhelmingly still extraordinarily angry, and rightfully so, are extraordinarily angry. And and I'm one of those people, increasingly, as my position continues to evolve and develop, Mm -hmm. but people are incredibly angry. And I said this on the Spaces chat tonight, that this is an incredibly important inflection point, not only for the FIA, but also for Formula One, because like no time in the history of this sport, they have an almost captive, immeasurably large audience. Yeah. And what we saw, what we saw Sunday was short of a crash and a, an injury to a driver was possibly the worst possible outcome. And I'm certainly not talking about Max because I might sound a little bit hypocritical, but I, I strongly believe he deserves to have won the championship. He's a fantastic driver. They played the strategy perfectly. Mm-hmm. And based on the cards that were dealt, they did everything right. And they won a championship. Congratulations, Max. Congratulations, Red Bull. You deserve your flowers. But yep. I think this is an inflection point because totally. ultimately all of us left that 
left that race, left that moment, left that day frustrated, confused, unclear of what had happened. And this has to be an inflection point for the FIA, and it needs to be an inflection point for Formula One. And they have to understand that all of the things that we've seen over the last few weeks and months are are totally avoidable. There's some really obvious low-hanging fruit here. And I'm frustrated. Our listeners are frustrated. The community's frustrated. And you have to be careful as well because admittedly, I, I have a little bit of bias and I have a horse in this race that I was hoping to see Lewis win, and I said all year, ultimately, mm-hmm. I would be happy with whoever won as long as it went down to the wire. It was a close, clean championship. Unfortunately, it did go down to the last lap of the last race, yeah. but as so many people have indicated, it felt, or the perception is that it was manipulated or it was a manufactured outcome. And I don't believe, I don't believe for a second that the outcome in terms of the winner was predestined it was pre-designed that anyone at yeah. the FIA or that anyone at Formula 1 specifically manipulated the outcome of the championship to see Max win i don't believe that for a second but what i think is lacking here and kudos to Meg because she used a really good term during our spaces chat tonight is that we need a tremendous amount of transparency in this moment mm-hmm. and permanently going forward because Unfortunately, the the lack of the lack of insight and the lack of intel and the lack of clarity that's being provided by Formula One and the FIA about what had happened is only helping to fuel all of these conspiracy theories that are emerging. And the conspiracy theories are that, hey, look, the FIA, Formula One, they did wanted a different winner, that this is the narrative that Netflix wanted, all these other kind of pieces. And mm-hmm. I was I was listening to a really good interview today with, with David Croft, uh, Crofty um, with Sky News. And one of the points that he had made that I wasn't immediately aware of is that the Formula One, the FIA could quash almost all of this conspiracy theory talk today because there were cameras on Michael Massey that entire time that if the FIA and Formula One wanted to get out in front of this and provide some relief and some resolution and some clarity of the situation, release the tape. Let us understand what the decision-making process was. Help us understand how we get from a moment where, hey, we're not going to lap the cars to we're going to partially unlap the field. Like, How did we get to that point? And if it was simply, if it was simply an honest misjudgment, if it was simply an in-the-moment decision that Michael Massey made and it wasn't the right one, so be it. We can all live with that. Mm-hmm. But I think the fear, the fear is that there was intervention here, that between that radio call yeah. that we're not going to lap the calls to that last second, last ditch moment where, hey, we are going to unlap some of the cars. It feels like there was intervention from somewhere. Maybe it was from the commercial interest. I don't know. But I feel like we as fans deserve some closure and some clarity as to what happened. Because if you release those tapes and we simply discover that, look, Michael Massey was under a immeasurable amount of pressure that none of us could ever feel. He was getting called from the team principals. He understands the moment. He understands the spotlight. And this was simply his decision in the moment. All right. It was a human decision. It wasn't ideal. Let's review. Let's restructure. Let's regroup. Let's look at how we can avoid this happening again. But if there was some sort of commercial 
involvement or some sort of commercial intervention, then that's something else entirely. And that could possibly be much more damaging for the sport. And the last comment that I'll have, and I honestly didn't mean to start this podcast with a bit of a rant, (laughs) but the the last concept kind of comment that I'll have is, you know, over the course of the last 72 to 96 hours, Mm -hmm. Jean Todd has been absolutely AWOL. Like Jean Todd, if you are the president of the FIA and you're a race director and the stewards and your entire organization is under fire in ways that it's never been under fire before, where are you? How is the FIA not called an emergency press conference, sat down with every single credentialed and non-credentialed journalist that they can fit into a conference room and walk us through step-by-step how we got from lap 53 to lap 58. Take us through with a time code. Show us every step. Help us understand the decision-making. Step up and back your guys. Like To me, the silence is deafening. And I know mm-hmm. Jean Todd has a foot out the door because reportedly he's on his way back to Ferrari. But this is terrible. And I, I honestly feel, and I know there's a lot of slander and hatred for Michael Massey, which I don't believe is is earned. I certainly don't believe it's deserved. I certainly don't believe it's um, appropriate. But you know what? Step up for your guy. And you know what? If you don't totally. necessarily agree, you know what? Let, let's let's admit that. Like, hey, look, you know what? He was under an <clears throat> immense amount of pressure. We're going to do some things to mitigate this from happening again. And here's what's going to happen. Something, anything. It's just if, and you know, Meg said this in the chat as well tonight. F1 is facing a PR crisis that it hasn't experienced in decades. Anyways, my rant is over. I'm sorry. I did not mean to kick the F, the podcast off with that, but no, I just kind of I mean, wanted to get to. that out before uh, yeah, we get into our future We have to. Topics. I mean, before we even get to the news stories, I mean, I think it was summed up at best. I think it was Sunday night. I think it was on the BBC um, website, the BBC Sport. And forgive me if I, I, I mangle this a little bit, but I think the, the, the headline, the lead was something uh, referring to Max was some deserving champion. Um, in, but with a questionable or one in a questionable way or something like that. And yeah, I, I think that yeah. was the best way was to say I, I, I mangled that a little bit. I, I, I apologize. And, and well, first of all, before I talk, you know, address some of the things that you say, the one thing that I think I, I saw this week that, that actually took away the anger and the frustration and that actually made me really sad was seeing Nikki, Nick Latifi apologize for going into the wall and creating this whole situation. I'm like, bro, you got nothing to apologize for. Agreed. 100%. You had a moment. This is racing. Accidents happen. Nothing like that. You should not have to apologize or or feel like you even have to say anything about it. You are like, I don't think anybody should be pointing a finger at you one way or another. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Now, when it comes to 
this whole mess with this whole restart and thing like that and things like that. I mean, I know that we've talked about this, you know, almost ad nauseum, but I, I can't help but thinking that, much like yourself, I don't think that there was any underhandedness. I, I think that it is... And and I mean, I'm not going to be an apologist for Michael Massey. He made the decision that he made. He's got to own that and he has to stand by it. It is what it is now, right? And I was thinking about, did they try to get like the storybook ending? Did they want the Hollywood finish? Which they got. I mean, but it's probably more uh, like... Um, they got Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Friday the 13th rather than maybe, I don't know, what's a happy movie? Uh, something with a happy ending. Maybe Frozen? I don't know. Gone with Zootopia. the Wind? Zootopia. There we go. Clifford. Zootopia. <laughs> Clifford. Something that's got a happy, funny, bubbly ending. So they got Friday the 13th. That's what they got. But I mean, I, 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 I struggle to think that there was intervention, like you say. I think that Michael was uh, aware of the context. And, and like I said, once they, you know, once Nikki went into the wall and the situation happened, somebody was going to come out on the short end of, of the stick. And I think that we walked through all the different scenarios. I think that if that car, or sorry, that race ended behind a yellow flag or a red flag just because they ran out of laps, sure, it would have been very anticlimactic, uh, anticlimactic but I mean, Lewis was what 12 13 14 seconds ahead by uh, of Max at that uh, that that point but I think what the, he was probably had in the back of his mind was the fact that Red Bull probably would have bitched and whined for the next 42 years that if they didn't get those lapped cars out of the way, that Max was not able to, you know, challenge Lewis for the, you know, that last couple of laps of uh, racing. Perhaps he did just wanted to remove those cars and at least um, give the impression that they tried to remove any obstacles, maybe thinking there's not enough time. Maybe, well, I mean, they had to always you know, expect that Max was going to make a move because he went in for tires and Lewis didn't but I, I think they they tried to remove any any hint of maybe favoring one driver one way or the other in the way that they did it they didn't have a lot of time I think it was clumsy and ultimately the way that it worked out was the, the worst case scenario because the guy that's that that you know, was the quickest, had the best car, was the best driver on the day, didn't end up winning that race, which maybe if it's any other race out of the calendar, maybe it's, you know, yeah, maybe you're angry and upset about it. But this one, there, there was a title on the line. And that that's why people are, are, are so, so angry about it. I think they wanted the storybook ending. They didn't want to see it end behind the safety car. They didn't want to see it uh, ended uh, you know, with a red flag. And perhaps it's a little bit greed, but, you know, when you have a guy that's responsible for all these different things and these, uh, you know, these different parties external to, uh, you know, they're, they're sitting up on the, 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 uh, the, the pit wall, have like the hotline to get up in his face, so to speak, and, you know, lobby and complain and, 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 and you know, basically vocalize their frustrations or what things are going on in real time. It's uh, that's that's not right either. I mean, I hate to see that in other sports. I mean, you you do see it uh, in, from from time to time, and I mean, you know, th that's the one nice thing to say in the NFL, right? There's a PI call, right? Flag goes on the field, and you know, m maybe it's a bad call when you see the, the 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 replay. But I mean, the one thing that's that's different in football is some plays are challengeable. They go and review it, and you know, and especially when it comes to scoring plays inside, was it the two minute warning? all these plays are automatically reviewed. And of course, when you're playing from scrimmage and, you know, each play only goes, you know, several seconds at most, you have the luxury of being able to do that. Whereas in Formula One, when the cars are going 200 miles an hour and even behind the safety car, 
things are happening in the blink of the eye. I, you know, I, I, again, maybe I'm just uh, too nice. Maybe, you know, I'm not willing to go down the conspiratorial roadway, pathway, whatever you want to call it. I just think they bungled it. They wanted the storybook ending. They wanted to remove any sort of like bias one way or the other. And they, they got the worst possible outcome in terms of the, um, you know, the, the way that it could have, um, you know, worked out. I mean, obviously Max deserved to win a championship, but he didn't necessarily w- deserve to win it under those circumstances. And, you know, I, I would think that even your your most diehard Verstappen fan, deep down, even they, if they don't want to admit it, are pro- probably thinking that, yeah, Max got really lucky on this one and perhaps this wasn't the one that he deserved to win right off. Well, he deserved to win it, but maybe this was not the way that he should have won it. I, I don't want to say he didn't deserve it because he did. I mean, he had a phenomenal season and so did Lewis. I mean, maybe he, Martin Brundle has it right when he said they should share the championship. I mean, in an ideal world, but, you know, we don't live in that world and one of them has to be the champion. So, you know, Lewis fans, Team LH, I can understand their anger. I totally understand why people are upset. I understand why Lewis is upset. I understand why why Toto's upset. I, under, I, I get it. I totally get it. To me, to me, the best case scenario here is exactly what you described, which was Michael Massey and the FIA simply bungled the decision making about how they should proceed with recalling the safety car. That to me is the best case, that it was human error. There was an avalanche of pressure. The outcome wasn't ideal. The, I think the question is, and I think what everyone wants to better understand is, why would Michael Massey have felt pressured to give us that storybook one lap ending to the race? That's not his job. That's not his role. His role is to <clears throat> officiate the race and to manage the safety of the sport. It's not his objective to create a one lap shootout at the end of mm-hmm. the race. And I think the question continues to remain, where did that pressure come from if it did? And that's why for me that that David Croft interview earlier today was so, I don't want to say eye-opening, was so ear-opening because he made such a great point about the Mm -hmm. fact that, look, you know what, Michael Massey is being taped throughout this entire journey. Like, the tapes are out there. You know, if if nobody did intervene and inject themselves into the decision-making process, simply release the tapes. Like, hey, you know what, again, let's have a press conference. Here's the tapes. Here's what's happened. This is what we were thinking. This is why the decisions were made. At least try to provide some clarity around the decision-making. But I think the fear that a lot of people have, ultimately, is that somebody did inject themselves into that decision-making, and Michael Massey was forced to make a decision that he wasn't comfortable making. And if that's the case, that's wholly inappropriate because you're undermining the core function of of the the FIA, which is to officiate the sport and manage the safety of the sport. Mm -hmm. So again, I think the best case is you're right. It was absolutely bungled. They didn't follow their own rule book and this was the outcome. And it's going to be a stain on the legacy of the sport forever. There's going to be, unfortunately for Max, there will be an asterisk next to his title. And I'm sure that the Red Bull Max fans don't want to hear that, but that's going to be the reality. This is much, much worse than Belgium. This is much worse than the 2005 US Grand Prix. This is worse than anything in the last quarter century short of, obviously, any time a driver is injured, that that is paramount and that supersedes everything. But in terms of avoidable, bureaucratic, administrative, low-hanging fruit, this is 
this is the worst. So for me, if somebody injected themselves into that conversation, that's wholly inappropriate and it undermines the competitive spirit of the entire sport. Now, what I don't believe is that there's been some grand conspiracy that's been running since the beginning of the championship to keep it tight, but to award, to find a way to get Max that chip at the end of the season. I don't believe that's the case. I would love, I I would love if somebody did some journalistic work and uncovered that that's not the case because if it is the sport is doomed and they need to refund every ticket and every f1 tv pro subscription sold this year but i do sense that maybe somebody did inject themselves into that decision making process and i'm just hoping that the fia and formula one can can ultimately prove me wrong because then Mm -hmm. at least we can rest we can rest easy knowing hey it was a horrible outcome they didn't follow their own rule book it was a human error and this is avoidable in the future just it's unfortunate that it came down literally to the last lap of the last race in a championship deciding moment yeah i i still think that maybe you apply occam's razor to this one and just go with the simplest uh, explanation that 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 massey wanted to remove any sort of perception of bias between you know lewis and max and the fact that they wanted to restart that race and and have a couple of laps under under green for whatever reason he felt compelled to do so why is the $64,000 question right but regardless he felt that uh, that they, that they needed to win or they had to finish this race racing under green rather than behind the safety car or red flagged and I think that, um, that just with the, the the pressure of time and the fact that there were not very many laps to go, that it was a spur of the moment a decision that was made, and he just uh, decided to you know have those several uh, uh, you know lap cars unlap themselves and get out of the way, and it was just uh, it was bungled. I mean, you know, I I mean, if something else is proven otherwise, like you know, in the way that you've outlined it, sure, I'd love to hear it, but you know. It, it it just it was not the outcome that the that the, they really needed. I mean, again, I mean, it's 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 just tough, right? And it, I mean, I was trying to be, you know, like, like I said, I mean, if if I'm cheering for anyone these days, it's it's for Ferrari. So it was, you know, I I didn't really have any skin in the game either way. But having said that, I didn't want to see it the way end the way that it did, and 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 that's you know, so I mean, I'm not happy either. Yeah, and just to be clear, I think the reason why people are upset is one, there's there's this sense of conspiracy simply because there's a lack of clarity and a total yep. lack of transparency, which is that great word that that Meg provided. But I think on top of it too, the FIA through Michael Massey didn't even follow their own rule book. And had they followed the rules as we all interpret them, yep. then ultimately the race would have finished under a caution and Lewis Hamilton would be an eight times world champion. So there, there's obviously... A lot of people that are very frustrated, I I think I'm one of them because it was a long, exhausting championship with some incredibly exciting moments. It came down to the finale, which is all any of us can ever ask. But given some of the oddities and the anomalies and some of the friction that we've experienced this year, unfortunately, it just felt like it was a predetermined outcome that it was going to end oddly. And and that's exactly what happened. And like I said, short of somebody being hurt, which is entirely an entirely different hemisphere of conversation, this is possibly the worst 
commercial outcome for Formula One that three, four days later, nobody is talking about Max. Nobody is talking about Max. Everyone is simply talking about how the race ended. And look at us, man. We're 30 minutes into this podcast, and that's still all we're talking about. I know. I, I mean, I mean, what else is there really uh, you know, to talk about at this point? Uh, you know, they have the FIA that is has launched an you know, an investigation into this uh, controversy. There is a fairly lengthy uh, press release that they uh, that, that they put out there earlier this week on Wednesday, I believe it was. So you know, there, there's quite a you know, there, there's a lot of uh, takeaways in there, but uh, I'll just read one or two paragraphs here. Uh, quote: uh, The circumstances surrounding the use of the safety car following the incident of driver Nicholas Latifi and the related communications between the FIA race direction team and the Formula One teams have notably generated significant misunderstanding and reaction from Formula One teams, drivers, and fans. An argument that is currently tarnishing the image <laughs> of the championship and the due celebration of the first driver's world championship title won by Max Verstappen and the eighth consecutive wor- constructor's world championship title won by Mercedes. Following the presentation of a report regarding the sequence of events that took place following the incident on lap 53 of the Grand Prix and in a constant drive for improvement, the FIA president proposed to the World Motorsport Council that a detailed analysis and clarification exercise for future for the future with all relevant parties will now take place. This matter will be discussed and addressed with all the teams and drivers to draw any lessons from the situation and clarity to to be provided to the participants, media, and fans about the current regulations to preserve, I was going to say pervert, that's my (laughs) mispronunciation, so to preserve the competitive nature of our sport while ensuring the safety of the drivers and officials, end quote. So, can, I, can I add something to yeah, this? Yeah, go real for quick? it. Jump in. So, when, when I was in high school, it was grade nine. It was a cold, wet, dark Pacific Northwest morning. And I and a fellow student were waiting at the bus stop for our school bus to come. Okay. And he and I were hit by a drunk driver standing on the side of the road waiting for our bus. We got run over oh by my a drunk God. driver. So, we went flying. Our stuff went flying. We ended up in the ditch. The guy was completely drunk. Somehow, we managed to get on the school bus. And we, as soon as we got to the school, we're sore. We're hurting. We went to the office and reported the incident. And this is back in 1995, 96. So, maybe things have changed. But eventually, later that day, the vice principal approaches me and he makes a statement that bothered me then and it bothers me now. He's like, I understand you were in an accident of your own making, inferring that we were (laughs) the ones that were at fault, presumably because maybe we weren't standing exactly where we were supposed to stand. But this 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 statement from the FIA takes zero responsibility for yeah. what had happened on Sunday. Like, I, 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 you did a really great job of summarizing that, and you picked the perfect the perfect statement. And I and I quote again have notably generated significant misunderstanding and reactions. So they're blaming misunderstanding and reactions from F1 teams, mm-hmm. drivers, and fans. So the FIA is saying that the misunderstanding and reactions are coming from the F1 teams, drivers, and fans. So, hey, you know what? The problem here is that you're misunderstanding what happened. Even though we, the FIA and Formula One, have done nothing to clarify, but shame on you. And furthermore, this misunderstanding and the reactions have created an argument that is currently tarnishing the image of the championship. So you're at fault because you're misunderstanding the rules. And furthermore, your misunderstanding is creating an argument that's currently tarnishing the image of the championship. So absolutely zero 
accountability here. This is a, a nothing statement. This well, Mark, is a PR just blitz. Just calm down here, my friend, because <laughs> after they get done with their detailed and analysis and clarification exercise, all the untarnishing will be done and we'll all be happy and we'll all be right. high-fiving of each course. other. So all the of misunderstanding will be done after this clarification exercise. So maybe bottle up your rage. You know, I, I mean, I'm being I know. sarcastic I know. and facetious, but I mean, it's... it's uh, To say that that statement misses the mark is uh, a bit of an understatement. Anyways, let's take a quick break here. We'll come Sounds back good. and uh, why don't we talk about... Well, what we've already been talking about for the past uh, 25, <laughs> 30 more. minutes. So we'll talk about a little bit more. Anyways, uh, we'll be back in just a moment. So don't go away. We will be back after a short word from our sponsors. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And yes, you are listening to Mark Hamilton, Mr. Mark Daly, talking about well, that that incident, that that race. It it still happens. It's uh, it's the people are still raging. It's been almost a week, and it's uh, incredible. Anyways. The one thing uh, that uh, did come out earlier today on Thursday is that Mercedes has officially confirmed that they will no, no longer be pursuing their appeal of the finish to the Abu Dhabi uh, Grand Prix. Uh, a team statement from Mercedes said, quote, we left Abu Dhabi in disbelief of what we had just witnessed. Of course, it's part of the game to lose a race, but it's something different when you lose faith in racing. Together with Lewis, we have deliberated carefully how to respond to the events at the Formula One season finale. We have always been guided by our love for the sport, and we believe that every competition should be won on merit. In the race on Sunday, many felt, us included, that the way things unfolded was not right. The reason we protested the race on Sunday, or race result on Sunday was because the safety car regulations were applied in a new way that affected the race result after Lewis had been in a commanding lead and on course to win the world championship. We appealed with the interest of sporting fairness, and we have since been in a constructive dialogue with the FIA and Formula One to create clarity for the future so that all competitors know the rules under which they are racing and how they will be enforced, end quote. So there you go. Mercedes not really mincing any words. And also what is uh, interesting here is apparently Lewis himself intervened and uh, basically, you know, ask them to stop uh, their their appeal process. So interesting that um, that 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 he did. But I I guess you know what what's really going to happen now at, at this point. I know they had that ninety six hour period into which they could uh, appeal or announce their intention to appeal, and then they could withdraw it. But what, what do you make of uh, Lewis jumping in and saying, you know what, guys, maybe we should just uh, let this one go? Yeah. Completely expected. I don't think that Lewis wants to be associated with a title that's perhaps won in in the courts. I, I don't think that's how he wants to see this championship played out. And I think 
that could be even more problematic for his legacy than not having won it at all. I just, I think that would be dangerous for the sport and the, the team. And as much as you and I and all of us can make the argument that he was with five laps left the world championship, and if not for the way that the rules were interpreted or misinterpreted mm-hmm. towards the end of that Grand Prix, he would be an eight times world champion. But I'll be very honest, if I was in his situation and as we all know, that's never going to happen. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's the way that I would want to win a championship. And yeah. There was a report, I think, today or yesterday from the Daily Mail that indicated that he made it very clear to Total Wolf and the rest of the Mercedes leadership team that he wanted the appeal to be dropped. And earlier today in a Zoom call that Tim Haraney was a part of, and it, the clips of it are available online as well, Total was very, very clear that he believed that they would be very successful if this did go to court. That said, of course, hmm. it, initially it's an FIA court and it's a very unique situation because it would be the FIA ruling on the FIA. And then ultimately you need to move beyond the FIA courts. And then it's a whole different world of legal Kangaroo complications courts. and logistics. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So it doesn't surprise yeah. me that, that Lewis being of absolutely pure class intervene mm. to end the appeal. And I think we saw that on, I think we saw that on Sunday that he was very cognizant of what the outcome was, which is Max won the Grand Prix based on the, based on the circumstances that had presented themselves to the Red Bull team. And Lewis was absolutely 100% pure class. And I, I know he parked his car up in Park Ferme and he was clearly processing the moment and and trying to understand what had happened, but he shook off whatever bitterness or unhappiness he had. And he was an absolute class act professional when he was on the podium and when he was being interviewed post-race. And I think based on that, I would have been very surprised if he had supported the appeal process Mm because it would have been in contradiction to the way that he had presented himself post-race. So certainly, certainly not surprised at all. But yeah, like I said, in that Zoom call earlier today, Toto was very clear that had they proceeded, he feels that they would have been successful. But I think it's very fortunate for Formula One, and I think it's very fortunate to the FIA that at least from a Mercedes perspective, they're not pouring any more fuel on this controversy right now that mm-hmm. they've accepted the outcome. And that that statement that you were reading continues as well. To Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing, we would like to express our sincere respect for your achievements this season. You made this Formula One championship title fight truly epic. Max, we congratulate you and your entire team. We look forward to taking the fight to you on the track next season. Yeah. So I, I feel at least from the Mercedes perspective, when you talk about this entire situation, I think they have accepted the outcome and obviously there's been some sort of, and again, this is when we talk about transparency, I think we all are owed a little better than we're getting, but obviously there was a conversation with the FIA, which made Mercedes feel better about the situation. Although I'd like to better understand what that conversation, that conversation was, but it doesn't mean that the situation's over. And I think the FIA formula one, were hoping that, Hey, you know what? Mercedes is going to, release this statement and drop the appeal and things are going to things are going to turn sunny well that's certainly not what's happening at this point well you know that uh, it, that something's really smells of rotten fish if that instead of uh, this uh, being dealt with properly all of a sudden they delve into the secret vaults where they keep all the information from area 51 and the JFK assassination and the, the Ferrari, Ferrari engine scandal unit. 
and they driver th- contracts. Yeah, and driver contracts, and they throw out the, uh, the the results of that secret deal that they made with Ferrari a couple of years ago, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, then uh, you know that something stinks. Anyways, another thing that Toto said was, "quote I am not interested in having a conversation with Michael Massey." The decisions that have been taken in the last four minutes of this race have dropped Lewis Hamilton from a deserved world championship. His driving, particularly in the last four races, was faultless. He had a commanding lead on Sunday in Abu Dhabi from the get-go. He won the start and never gave the lead away again. Robbing him in the last lap of the race is unacceptable. That is why, from a personal standpoint, from a professional standpoint, I cannot. My values and my sense of integrity just isn't compatible with the decisions that have been made on Sunday. So it is up to the FIA to decide going forward how these decisions, how these situations can be avoided, end quote. So that, that, that's an interesting one. So I guess uh, just based on that, uh, he won't be getting a Christmas card from, from Toto um, either. Now, this next statement from Toto, I find a, a bit puzzling, uh, to be quite, quite honest. Um, he said that uh, he hopes that disillusioned Lewis Hamilton doesn't walk away from, from Formula One um, and, and call, it, uh, call it a career. So Toto basically said that uh, that he and Lewis are disillusioned with Formula One at the moment, which, I mean, we can completely understand. Uh, but he goes on to say, uh, quote, I would very much hope that Lewis continues racing because he's the greatest driver of all times. He, when you look at it from the point of view of the last four races, he dominated them on Sunday. There wasn't even a doubt who won the race, and uh, that was worthy of winning the championship. So we will be working through the events over the next weeks and months. And I think as a racer, his heart will say what I need to continue because he's at the peak of his game. But we will have to overcome the pain uh, that was caused upon him on Sunday. Also because he is a man with clear values and it is difficult to understand that it happened, end quote. So this one, I think, uh, is an interesting one. I, I, I couldn't see Lewis really being that angry to the point that he would walk away from from Formula One for good. I mean, we, we know that he's got less years in front of him than he has behind him based at the age that he's at. But I mean, what we, you know, we, we know for sure is he's he's still at the peak of his, uh, I mean, he's at the pinnacle right now. I mean, he's in his prime, still driving as good as ever. But uh, yeah, I thought it was, it was kind of interesting that that one little quotable snippet about Lewis walking away. I think is uh, is an interesting one, but I I, I just I, I can't see Lewis walking away now. No, no, I, I completely agree. I don't think that's the way that Lewis would want to to wrap up his career. I think when Lewis goes, we'll all know it well in advance. I I hope that I hope that we know when Lewis's last year is happening because I I think he deserves he deserves that ceremony at every single track over the course of the his final season. And I, I think we see this in the NBA. We saw this with Dwayne Wade. We saw this with Derek Jeter that, hey, when this athlete's going to a ballpark or an arena for the last time, there's a video ceremony and they're honored. I think that's what Lewis ultimately deserves is that in his final season, he deserves those types of 
recognition and those signs of respect through throughout the globe. But I agree. I don't think that's the way he wants to end his career. That said, I, I think we've all been in a situation, and certainly none of us can relate to what Toto and Lewis have been through over the course of the last 96 hours. But mm-hmm. I think we've all been in a situation before where we we lost something that was very important to us and we go into a pit of despair. And when you're in the basement of that pit of despair, everything mm-hmm. seems hopeless and it seems lost. But over time and with work, you start to climb out of that pit of despair. And I think right now, Toto and Lewis are absolutely, absolutely emotionally just drained. They're exhausted. And I think they're in that pit of despair right now. And I think, though, over the course of the next few weeks, you get through Christmas, you get some gr- breathing space between what had happened and and the holidays. And I think at that point, Lewis and Total will start turning their attention to the 2022 car. Their focus will change. Their drive will return. The hunger will come back. Yeah. But I think right now, neither of them are looking to leave the sport. Absolutely not Lewis. That's not the way he's going to end his, his uh, tenure in the sport. He's a seven-times world championship. Maybe he never has a shot at another chip but ultimately that's not the way he wants to go out he wants to go out on his own terms and he deserves that year of recognition and accolades and respect and i think maybe it's not this year he's got a two-year deal maybe it's the year after who knows we'll see how mercedes looks on track i think if he's hyper competitive he'll continue to go but yeah certainly i don't expect to see him leave the sport because of this because of the situation. Now, a couple of interesting uh, snippets and quotes from uh, Max Verstappen now for your for your consumption and for your your thoughts and your and analysis. First one, quote: No, I mean it's quite typical looking at the season that uh, that it happens. It is what it is. I mean, we were still happy and enjoying it, and we as a team didn't do anything wrong. We raced when there was a green light and a green flag, so we went for it and we did it on the track, end quote. So Max obviously talking about uh, the situation, how it uh, played out at the end of the race. Um, that That's fairly straightforward, but I'm going to read both and then I, I want to get uh, your thoughts on, on both of them. Uh, then the second one is just uh, Max, um, you know, talking about uh, Lewis uh, specifically and uh, what happened uh, afterwards. So he says, quote, there was one side that was incredibly happy and one side that was disappointed. Of course, I felt for Lewis. He did everything right throughout the whole race. But, you know, F1 can be very unpredictable. And of course, it can go either way. It could have have been the other way around as well, where I could be controlling the race and then I would lose it on the last lap. That's unfortunately also a part of racing, end quote. So your your thoughts on those two little quotes? I mean, as as usual, not more than a couple of sentences from Max, kind of short and to the point, but uh, what, what do you make of those two comments? It is what it is. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that 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 seems to be, and that that's Pretty not much. my response. I yeah. I think that's that's one of Max's token, token kind of his go to yeah. phrase, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like I I I feel bad that they have to be on the defensive, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's important to understand the context with which these with which these responses are coming because we don't often get the question. We don't often get the context for the question. Maybe it's part of a bigger conversation. I feel a little bit bad that they have to be defensive on this. Um, Although typically I think that's the culture with the Milton Keynes squad at, at Red Bull. 
I don't think they did anything wrong in this race. I, I don't think they did anything wrong all weekend. Max did a great job of qualifying and he got a lovely slipstream from his, his teammate. And then during the race, he didn't have a great start. Sergio was epic at fighting with Lewis to mm-hmm. give Max the opportunity to get back in the race. And there was a safety car, unfortunately, but safety cars happened because there was a crash and crashes happen when two yeah. Formula One cars are racing, regardless of where they are in the field. And Red Bull correctly and and smartly brought Max in for softs. And I also don't fault Mercedes for not doing it because, to be honest, I don't even know where the Mercedes car was at the time. Whatever happens, like the safety car and the the whole bungled restart notwithstanding, those two teams were going to do the opposite of what the other one did. If Lewis went in for fresh tires, Max would have stayed out. It just happened that Lewis went by first and they that was going to happen. They they were going to do the opposite to, to one another. But I mean, had uh, perhaps Mercedes reacted sooner, who who knows, you know, or or they pitted him under that virtual safety car. I mean, there, there's so many what ifs, you know, what if they did this? What if that happened? What if that happened? I mean, it, it, it's all hindsight is twenty twenty. But, you know, it, it, it's funny. And maybe that's part of the reason that uh, that Lewis decided to intervene and, and drop, uh, you know, insist Mercedes drop that appeal that he doesn't want to be the undisputed GOAT and winning that eighth uh, chip, uh, you know, via the courts, right? And maybe he's just like, you know, whatever, I've still got seven. I still have the opportunity. I've still got a couple years left in front of me. Maybe I can still do it. And maybe when it comes to a legacy point of view, people will look at Max and saying, well, there's an asterisk uh, next to, to Max Verstappen's name. And regardless if Max goes on to never win another championship or he goes and wins 10, people always say, well, he shouldn't won in, in, in 21 because that was justly and rightly Lewis's uh, championship. And he should have won that one. But that that race happened. That, that thing happened, right? Under that safety car... I would argue that Red Bull did absolutely the right thing by pitting. Yep, totally. And I think that Mercedes did absolutely the right thing by not giving up track position because yep. in that moment, the expectation is, well, this race is going to finish under a caution. If we pit, we forfeit the lead for no reason. Yeah, they they exactly. didn't pit because the precedence is that it's not going to finish under or it's not going to finish under a, a green flag. So yep. I think both teams did the right thing. Just actually, you know, while we're, we're speaking, um, somebody, one of our listeners is messaging us on Twitter right now. Juan Solo, just a couple of great points that reinforce some of the things that we're talking about. He's saying just a couple of thoughts. He's like, the FIA somehow made FIFA look good by comparison. <laughs> Number two. That's, that's saying something. Yes, absolutely. Number two, everybody assumes Mercedes and the FI have made some sort of deal. If so, and that's what we were just talking about a couple mm-hmm. of minutes ago, Any, we, we need to know what it is. Any lack of transparency would just show, throw doubt into future results as well. And three, the deal better include enacting every recommendation from the Hamilton Commission. Number four, the race director has too many responsibilities, which we've talked about ad nauseum Mm -hmm. and then number five the rules are the rules uh and then number six f1 owes their fans a detailed thorough easily understood explanation so it's funny because he says all of these things and these are largely points that we've been making throughout this podcast that we're owed a detailed response you can't you can't criticize us for creating a negative situation based on our misunderstanding of the rules if you can't provide us a clear understanding of what those rules are and how they were interpreted by the FIA on race day itself. Yeah, it's kind of like watching my kids play games and how the rules constantly evolve and they end up freaking out <laughs> halfway through and then you see the the, the board and the, the the little tokens and the little pieces go flying across because somebody oh, made I up a rule halfway days. through. Yeah. No, no, you don't. Anyway, so let's take another break. We'll be back in just a moment, so don't go away. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We're still breaking down the mayhem and the chaos and everything that's unfolded since last weekend's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And one of the things that have, uh, that's come out, that team principals will not be able to get onto the horn next year and uh, bug the race director, which I think is the right thing to do. Uh, I, I don't, not sure why that uh, this was something that uh, w- was able to happen, but it's obviously something that should be should be dealt with because I know that uh, it wasn't that uh, they were, pers- you know, well, I mean, in, in some cases, I guess they were basically pestering and lobbying Michael Massey to actually bring something up to, to the stewards. And whereas I guess it's up to the stewards to decide on their own whether or not uh, something needs to be investigated. But, you know, I, I, why? You know, it's just uh, that this whole lobbying and whining and stuff like that. I mean, it was interesting to listen to, like on the race radio, some of the stuff that they would actually release and put out onto the TV feed. But most of the time when I heard these things, especially when they that became more of a thing in the last, say, quarter or third of the season... I, I was always astounded. It's just like, well, number one, this is amazing that they're actually airing this for public consumption. But number two, I'm amazed that these people actually have a direct line into the race director as, as it is. I mean, this is seems a bit bizarre to me, but I'm glad that this loophole is closed for 22. Yeah, I completely agree. And we talked about this on Sunday that ultimately it's the stewards that are making a lot of the decisions that the team principals are expressing their disbelief or anger or frustration about. And ultimately, Michael Massey serves no role other than to be a messenger between the two parties. And the stewards aren't about to change their decision-making or shouldn't be changing their decision-making based on the input and feedback and noise created by the team principals. Now, of course, Sunday was a bit of an exception because Michael Massey controls the safety car deployment and bringing the safety car back in and lapping or unlapping the cars, but you're absolutely right. As, as much as it was th- enthralling from a, a a public consumption perspective, it seemed wholly inappropriate. And says uh, Ross Braun here, we will stop this context next or this contact next year. It's unacceptable that team bosses put Michael under such pressure during the race. It's like the coaches negotiating with the referee <laughs> in football. And and I completely agree. But once again. You know what? The FIA Formula One created this situation, continues Ross Braun. Toto can't demand that there shouldn't be a safety car, and Christian can't demand the cars have to unlap. That's at the discretion of the race director. Yes, so I'm glad that they're going to be cutting off this line of communication. Yeah. Next uh, one is that uh, tonight, uh, earlier tonight, they had the FIA prize-giving gala in Paris. That's where Max wore a tuxedo, got the, the big trophy, and they were all smiles. Toto and Lewis did not attend, basically snubbing and protesting, saying that they, they were going to attend. And, uh, you know, some people can say that's not sportsmanlike and stuff like that. But in th- in this case, I, I totally understand it. And I, I don't feel any, you know, ill feeling towards either of them for, for not you know wanting to go. I mean, if, if it was 
if it was maybe any other circumstance, I'd say, yeah, that's maybe a little bit offside. But given the circumstances, I think this is this this is understandable. I have something a little special for you tonight okay. about, on this topic. But before I get there, uh, this oh, was brought tease. to my attention tonight. Yeah, a little bit of a tease. And actually, you know what? I don't know if we want to take action. We won't take a break. Um, we just did one like two minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I was just good. I, I was playing that out in my head. But uh, in the background on my TV, I have uh, Selling Sunset on. So I was distracted for a second there. But in the sporting regulations, section 6 by 6.6, the drivers finishing one, two, or third in the championship must be present at the FIA prize giving ceremony. So technically, as hmm. per the sporting regulations, Lewis had to be there. Now, all of that said, I don't think the FIA dare, <laughs> dare explore any kind of disciplinary um, action for this. Now, okay, so I'm going to read this to you and I'm going to be totally honest. I did not know this happened. And if I was watching, I don't know that I would have been picked up on it right away. Okay. But a friend of the show messaged me earlier tonight saying, you need to check this out. And they this person sent me a YouTube clip with the exact time code. Now, this individual was informed of this by a friend of theirs who's also a friend of the show. So friends of friends and friends of the show. So thank you to everybody. You will remain nameless. So during the prize giving ceremony tonight, mm -hmm. Nick DeVries Mercedes test driver. He is the current reigning Formula E champion. Unfortunately, didn't get an F1 ride for 2022. Mm -hmm. Was invited on stage to accept his Formula E World Championship trophy. Okay. One of the hosts on the stage had asked him a question. And the question was, talk to us about winning the championship. Nick DeVries, and I'm going to read this because I wrote this entire thing out because I want to read it to you. Nick DeVries says, before talking about our season... I'd like to take, I'd like to dedicate a couple of words to Jean Todd. And he says this while beaming, like just beaming, grinning ear to ear under the cameras on the stage in front of a packed house. Okay. Before talking about our season, I'd like to dedicate a couple of words to Jean Todd, who has been our president over the past 12 years. Jean, you might not remember, but 10 years ago, we actually met here in Paris. I felt intimidated. I felt scared. You asked me a math question, which I wasn't able to reply. You <laughs> okay. also told me I would never take a driver like that. I felt bad. I chose to work hard. And luckily, I found a great team in Mercedes that welcomed me despite my lack of math skills. Hmm. And I'm here tonight representing a great brand. And thank you very much for that. In brackets, Jean Todd. So... Hmm. I, my interpretation of this is very, very specific, but I'd like your interpretation, knowing the circumstances, knowing that Jean Todd is the president of the FIA, knowing that Nick DeVries is at the prize giving ceremony, but of course, Toto's not, Lewis is not. How do you read what I just said? I think it's a it's a little bit at, uh, of a poke at John Tote that, yes, that, yes, yes. that he's on the way out because he can't see he served the max twelve years as president of the FIA, 
and and Nick being a champion now in uh, world champion in Formula E for Mercedes, you know, justly winning that that uh, that that title, and basically, I think he's kind of um, you know flipping him the bird, saying, "Well, yo, here I am driving for a great manufacturer, Mercedes, being a world champion." And it was because of what you said to me and the way that you made me feel actually motivated me to get where I am today. And your put down was actually, you know, got me to to, to where I am. So I, I, I think I'm that's so it. happy. <laughs> I am so happy that. And again, I, I, it's all about being human, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I think jean is a very strong, capable human being, but this story I thought was uh, fantastic. And your interpretation is exactly what I was hoping that you were going to read into this. I'm going to send you the link because I want you to see it live. But okay. I think just within the context of everything that's going on right now, I just, I thought this was a little bit, I don't know if delicious is the right word. So to, to our valued listeners that sent this to us, uh, thank you very, very much. And It's juicy, to- isn't it? Yeah, and to Lily Herman, who is obviously the publisher of the Engine Failure newsletter, who I strongly recommend everybody reach out to and subscribe to. I'm hoping for at least a 700-word breakdown of your interpretation (laughs) of this speech. Um, That would be much, much, much appreciated. But yeah, I thought it was very interesting. And I think if I was watching casually in the background, I maybe wouldn't have picked up on it. But to me, it was very much, like you said, one of those moments that, hey, look, you know what? Because of what you said, I worked harder and harder. And I did. I found a great team that accepted me and loved me and embraced me, even though I wasn't great at mass. And now look at me, I'm a world champion standing here on stage representing the Mercedes brand. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I just want to give a couple of shout outs to Rocky and Pratik Barjwaj in the uh, in the live chat. Uh, lots of good conversation going on over on YouTube. So thanks uh, for joining in, guys. Now, next one. This is interesting. And if I was Max, I think I would have walked back on this one. But uh, th- this isn't really a surprise. He said uh, several weeks ago that if he won the championship this year, he would rock the number one next year and kind of revive that uh, that that tradition in Formula One because the world champion always had number one on their car. So Max said that uh, he's actually going to do that. However, I, th- I think this is a little bit uh, a little bit tone deaf. I think just the way that everything went down, I know that he said that uh, he was going to do it. But if I was him, I would have walked back on this one. I would have just st- stuck with my own personal number and just kept the 33 on there for next year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that wasn't the the angle that I thought you were going to take on this one. And, oh, really? And maybe, yeah, and maybe, and I think you probably know this, but even better than I do. And I think we've all forgotten that this is even a thing in Formula One yeah. simply because Lewis has chosen not to do it. Nico retired immediately after 2016, so he never had the opportunity to wear number one. But maybe just for the context of our listeners, share what this means and and what the what the history is behind doing this. Well, I mean, what, what the drivers have now, and this has been a, th- a thing for a good many years now, is they have their own personal number. So it's, it's very much, uh, you know, like in football or baseball, all the players have their own numbers. I mean, we all know who what, what, what uh, number Kobe wore. We all know what number... Tom Brady wears, etc. We all know who CR7 is if you're a soccer fan. So anyways, that's something that Formula One decided to do was let the drivers have their own personal number because each and every year it was difficult getting to to know all these. It, it took me like literally two thirds of the year to remember which driver had which number because it wasn't necessarily the same each and every year. But the one thing you could count on was the world champion always had number one. 
And then Ferrari always had 27 and 28, paying uh, homage to uh, Gilles Villeneuve, uh, who was killed at Zolder in practice for the Belgian Grand Prix way back in 1982. Enzo Ferrari loved Gilles. He was a real, I mean, he was, you know, an an amazing race driver and he made a huge impact with uh, Ferrari. I mean, that's a terrible uh, choice of word, but... Anyway, so the world champion would always keep one. Ferrari was always have 27, 28. So, so that has been gone by the wayside. I like the idea, like I say, that each driver has their own personal number. But I really wanted to see a return to that, having the world champion, having number one on the nose of the car, having number one on the side pods, wherever it is. And so I, I'm kind of glad that Max brought it back. But however, just based on what happened, I, I think I would have, if it was me personally, I think I would have let this one slide for another year. But in future, I would like to see it come back because it, it, it had meaning. It had significance that if you had the number one on your car, you had it for a reason. And it wasn't just because, hey, you know, I like the number 44 if you're Lewis or 33 if you're Max or, or, or whatever. I mean, that's cool especially when you see how these guys use the numbers into the, their sort of own personal brand and stuff like that. But number one was always special and it, it meant something. It was significant because you were the best the previous year. You're defending that championship this year. And uh, you know what? Uh, maybe it kind of puts a target on your back that, uh, you know, you got that big one on your car and everybody's coming for you. But I, I thought it was always a cool tradition. I hear I hear you on the tone deaf piece. I think I, I would probably agree with you more if he'd won the championship through a DNF, if there had been contact, if if he'd basically been gifted the championship through some other means. I mean, ultimately you could argue that he was gifted the championship based on the interpretation of the rules and the calls by Michael Massey on Sunday. But again, he did nothing wrong in that championship. They mm-hmm. just executed based on the circumstances that were presented to them. I, I don't think he should choose not to wear number one as, as a byproduct of that. I think in doing so, especially since he'd stated earlier in the season that he was going to do this, it would suggest that maybe the image is tarnished and we're going to kind of back away from it and not celebrate it as sure. if we aren't really the world champion. So I, I hear you. I, I just... I think had I think had he won a championship because of contact with Hamilton and Hamilton DNF'd and he won by default because he had more race wins, whatever the case is, sure, that that's dirty. But as much as none of us are satisfied with the outcome of the race, I, I would still argue that Red Bull did nothing wrong that weekend and they they executed based on the circumstances as they were available to them. And kudos to Max. And I agree, this is something that I'd like to see. The other thing I, I'll just add quickly, and I know we've got a ton of other great stories, but the one thing that I would love to see and we see this in the NBA now is players wear a gold tag on the back of their jersey if their team has won a championship and there's a number on it. So for instance, the Toronto Raptors have a gold badge that says number one on the back of their jerseys. I'd love to see something like that in Formula One where Mm -hmm. if the team that you're driving for or the team that you represent has won championships, that should be called out. There should be some sort of unique identifier on the cars themselves Mm -hmm. that recognizes that, hey, that team has won a championship. And if there's been more than one, there should be a way to signify that. I think that would be very, very cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Hey, before we get to, to another break here, just uh, one interesting thing. Uh, there's a, an auction that's uh, going on uh, this weekend in Paris. A uh, couple of notable cars that are going uh, on the block is uh, Fernando Alonso's 2004 Renault R24. And uh, before that is Max Verstappen's work car, which is a Honda Civic Type R. And Max's uh, car is uh, starting uh, with a bid of 33,333 euros. 
and uh, all the proceeds will be going to um, the Wings for Life charity, which was co-founded by Red Bull co-founder Dietrich Meischitz. So there you go. That's a kind of a, a cool one. Anyways, time for another, another break. We're going to have to start getting through this stuff here. I think we're really halfway through the topics we wanted oh, to 60 minutes into this thing. Anyways, time for a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment, so don't go away. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Okay, welcome back. So another, well, one good thing did happen uh, to Lewis this week. He was at uh, uh, Windsor Castle earlier this week and was officially knighted on Wednesday. He was uh, awarded the knighthood uh, earlier this year in the Queen's New Year's Honours at the end of last year, making him Sir Lewis Hamilton. But uh, he was not formally knighted until uh, Wednesday of this week by Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales. And uh, that is actually very, very cool. So there's some uh, pictures that uh, you can see online with Lewis and, uh, you know, down on one knee and Prince Charles with the uh, the ceremonial sword and probably say, arise, Sir Lewis. I think that's uh, kind of a very, very cool picture. So congratulations uh, to Lewis on that. And, uh, well, I th- where, where should we go now? Okay. Engines, engines, engines. engines for engines. sure, for sure. So, long talked about, long rumored about, but Formula One has finally agreed to ditch the MGUH as part of the new engine rules. And this will be dropped from all the power units starting in 26. This is something that we've been speculating and talking about for a good number of weeks, if not months on this show. And this is a very, very complex piece of technology. And this was basically the the whole drive behind this discussion was that the current teams were willing to let this one go, being it's such a difficult piece of technology to master, to make it a little bit more attractive to a new entry into the sport, which has been heavily rumored and speculated that it's going to be Audi or Porsche or something from under the VW banner, them, you know, Volkswagen being the parent uh, company. But it would make it more feasible and less challenging and expensive for a new entrant to uh, to uh, design and build a new engine without that MGUH in it. Mark, what's your take on this? Good news, bad news, or meh? Uh, I think, well, I don't think it's meh. I think it's very, very, very important. But I think it was something that we all understood was going to happen. And I think even, to be totally honest, I think even if Formula One wasn't on the cusp of recruiting and signing on a new engine supplier or new OEM, we don't necessarily know what Volkswagen's role is going to be within the sport if they do join. But I think there was a very high probability that the MGUH was going to disappear. And just as a recap for listeners at home, and I'll make this very quickly, please don't roll your eyes, but the, the, the hybrid powertrain that Formula One cars use today is incredibly complex. And really, there's two separate, I, I shouldn't say competing, but there's two separate complementary 
electrification systems or hybrid systems at play within the system. One, you have the MGUK, and MGUK effectively captures kinetic energy or kinetic energy from the braking system. So when brakes are applied, they create a tremendous amount of heat, especially in a Formula One car. Formula One cars have a system called the MGUK, captures that energy, puts it into a battery store. The other system is an MGUH. And unlike the MGUK, which has practical real world uses in road cars, the MGUH is incredibly complex. And I'm quoting here from flowracers.com, the MGUH uses waste heat energy technically kinetic energy from the exhaust gases to spin the compressor of the turbocharger and eliminate turbo lag. So it's an incredibly complex piece of technology that has a very specific use in internal combustion engines. And ultimately, MGUK systems can have an application in any type mm-hmm. of motor car. The MGUH is specific to internal combustion engines that have a turbocharger. So the fear has always been that, one, it's very expensive, and any new entry to Formula One that is developing a new power unit from the ground up, it will take them years to get to the level of MGUH sophistication that any other team has. And that would be a hindrance or a barrier of to entry for a new team joining the sport. So by ditching it, the hope is that the Volkswagen group is going to sign on. And in 2026, when we get the new power unit formula, which is probably going to be pretty similar to this one, minus this component, it'll still probably be a 1.6 liter V6, but the MGUK components will be beefed up considerably. This is good news. And I think we're all sitting on a razor's edge waiting Mm -hmm. for news about when or if Volkswagen's going to join. And when they do announce that, what is the capacity with which they join the sport? Do they buy a team? Do they simply provide uh, power units to an existing team? We don't know, but that's going to be something really exciting to talk about throughout the offseason. Wasn't that uh, meeting that they were going to have with their board, wasn't it supposed to be about this time of the month? Wasn't it sort of like early to mid-December? Nothing's leaked out yet, which I find uh, fascinating. So... Who knows if there will be news on that uh, anytime soon. Now, some other news is Charles Leclerc has tested positive for COVID-19 for the second time in 2021. Uh, he had contracted the, the the virus back in January of this year after coming into close contact with uh, somebody who was, uh, was sick with uh, COVID. Anyways... He is uh, apparently fine and is uh, self-isolating uh, at home with some mild symptoms. Um, so that's uh, a bit of a surprise, but, you know, expect the unexpected when it comes to to, to COVID. Now, sticking with uh, Ferrari, this one I like. This is this is a rumor I like. Carla Sainz apparently could be up for an extension with uh, Ferrari. Okay, maybe we weren't talking a lot about Carlos Sainz this year, but I think quietly... I think he had a very good season for the Scuderia. I think that uh, you know, obviously they weren't going to be in a position to be challenging for races and for wins and everything, but I think he did a very, very solid job for a team that is obviously faced with a ton of scrutiny and a lot of pressure to be a Ferrari driver. And uh, I, I think that they have a very solid pairing in Carlos Sainz and uh, Charles Leclerc. And I think uh, giving Carlos a a new deal or extending his current deal would be a win-win situation for both him and for the team. Yeah, completely agree. I don't have a lot to add on this other than the fact that I think we've all really enjoyed watching the Carlos Sainz journey. I still feel 
awful not knowing that he'd scored a podium until he literally stepped onto the podium in Abu Dhabi. And I am strongly of the mind that he will be competing for not podiums, but for race wins Mm -hmm. alongside Charles Leclerc. And I think obviously the dynamic between the two of them has been positive this year. And I think it's because the team hasn't faced a ton of scrutiny because they weren't necessarily expected to be as competitive as they were. But I think as the team continues to improve and we see some competitive parity next year, expect to see a little bit of friction because I think the two of them have pushed each other in a really healthy way this year, as Tim Haraney described on a recent Spaces chat. But I would expect next year that the two are going to push each other in more uncomfortable ways because they will be competing for the top step on podiums. Yeah, very cool. It'd be good to see where they are uh, next year and see if they've um, sorted things out and what they get what they design, what they build for 2022. Now, one small piece of uh, Ferrari news, they've uh, renewed a multi-year deal with longtime uh, sponsor Kaspersky. I always get that wrong. But <laughs> anyways, they will also feature not only on the the, the, the cars, but also on the, the driver's uh, overalls, helmets, and they're going to be uh, an official partner of their FDA esports team, which is uh, kind of cool. Now, uh, we do have some test news. We've seen a lot of young drivers in the cars in Abu Dhabi for the for the postseason test. Did you want to talk about this one, Mark? Yeah, I think it's probably worth uh, taking a quick stab at this one. Obviously, throughout the course of a, a 12-month calendar, we, we have some testing sessions. In the past, there were far more. There were up to two weeks of testing sessions during the winter. You would have a week following the season. Some years, you would even have in-season testing sessions as well. But in the spirit of the cost cap and creating more competitive parity and reducing the cost pressures on the teams, we've seen fewer and fewer and fewer testing sessions. And now this last year, we were down to three days of winter testing, which I think probably wasn't enough. And I think that was the feedback that the team's gave to Formula One was we need more time to shake down our cars this year, especially as they're going to be rolling out entirely new chassis and aero. I think they're probably going to need at least a week, three days, certainly won't be enough, four or five, probably still won't cut it. But what we saw this year, and we typically get a couple of days of testing after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, because all of the teams in their infrastructure are at a dedicated circuit, is we get to see a couple of days of testing. And oftentimes what they're testing is the compounds that Pirelli would be using the subsequent year. So oftentimes we'll see Pirelli introduce new compounds because they're constantly evolving the tires to keep up with the cars because the cars continue to evolve. This testing session was a little bit unique. So every team had the opportunity to run a young driver and most teams chose to do so on the Tuesday. So you got to see a ton of talented young drivers. And we'll speak to a couple of those in a couple of minutes that got to step into a Formula One car, many of them for the first time. So they were basically rocking the 2021 cars with the existing 13 inch wheels. One of the young drivers rocked a 2021 car with 13 inch wheels on the Wednesday. But what we also saw on the Wednesday was a number of our existing drivers or a number of existing drivers getting into Formula One mule cars, rocking the 18-inch wheels. So obviously the teams and Pirelli are desperate to start getting some data on how they need these 18-inch <laughs> wheels, yeah, how these 18-inch wheels 
perform in in a real world setting. And it isn't the first time that most of these teams have had the 18 inch wheels on their cars, but it's certainly the first time they've had the 18 inch wheels on their car with a more evolved version of the tire compounds that Pirelli are going to be bringing next year. So we got to see a couple of young drivers, which I'll let you speak to, but ultimately the sessions were largely a success. I think one of the young drivers for Red Bull, unfortunately hit a wall, but obviously anytime we start to see some young drivers in the cars, it's exciting. And we got to see not only the Formula 2 champion stepping into a Formula 1 car, but we got to see some IndyCar drivers step into a Formula 1 cockpit. Well, we saw Nick DeFries, we saw Pato Award, we saw Oscar Piastri. I mean, we, we saw so many guys out there. Robert Schwartzman uh, set some very impressive times uh, for, for, for Haas. And I, I think, you know, it's exciting to see Pato Award. Uh, I mean, there's that exactly. uh, connection in there. And he's actually kind of setting himself a goal or the aim to break into Formula 1 in the next uh, two years. So I can imagine he's going to be working the connections that he has with fellow Mexican you know, um, Sergio Perez and, uh, you know, or just any connection that he has. But uh, he said that his F1 uh, test with McLaren was crazy and insane times 10. And uh, I can totally see it. I mean, you see any pictures of Pato from that test, he's just uh, all smiles and uh, obviously very, very pumped uh, about it. So he says he believes he has a maximum of two years years uh, to make it into Formula One and he's going to do everything that he can do to make it happen after that first uh, McLaren uh, test. Uh, he told uh, motorsport.com in an interview, quote, to be fairly honest, arguably there's a maximum two more years for me to be able to come into the F1 scene. There's not much more time. I will do everything I can to make it happen because of the uh, it is the top of the top my, and my dream and my life right now. It all started with one dream and that dream was to make it to, to Formula One. The dream ambled out to a different series, endurance racing and IndyCar series, or sorry, IndyCar racing, but it all started with that one dream and I'd be lying if I said I didn't want it because I do. I'm going to do absolutely everything I can and I'm going to push my absolute maximum to be sure that I leave nothing on the table because you've got to take it, you've got to try because if I don't, I will regret it for the rest of my life. End quote. So there you go. Uh, you know, l listening to him and seeing what he did at testing this week, I, I can't help but feeling, you know, I, I got to cheer for this guy. I, <laughs> he, his, his, uh, his enthusiasm is infectious. I completely agree. I, I think all of this just reinforces how badly we need a couple of other seats in Formula One. 10 teams, I know, 20 right? seats. It, it's so tight, and it just feels that between the Formula Two pipeline and IndyCar itself, there's so many talented drivers that... I shouldn't say deserve because that's not really up to me to decide, but there's so many talented young drivers that seem capable of piloting a Formula One car. And some of these young drivers have fantastic personalities, fantastic energy, and they would be an absolute coup for Formula One from a, a marketing perspective. And I think what I'm really excited to see is eventually we're going to have an Indy breakthrough. So obviously we see a lot of Formula One drivers go the way of Indy, especially after their... I would say Formula One career expires, but I think at some point we're going to see the talent reverse and we're going to see a couple of drivers break through. And McLaren has absolutely led the, I would say the financial investment train into Indy. And of course, they're going to have their team next year. They've 
been partnering. They're going to have their own dedicated team in IndyCar next year, but they are absolutely cultivating terrific young talent there, which I think is is fantastic. But I think we're going to see a breakthrough in a direction that maybe we wouldn't expect. And of course, we've seen it before. If you go back to Jacques Villeneuve, wins the Indy 500, makes the transition to Formula One in 96, wins the title in 97. But I think we're on a course to see more and more of that, especially given the fact that Indy's become increasingly stabilized after that really, really contentious, difficult period in the mid-90s and the 2000s when Indy split into two competing series. And of course, it's fully reunified now and has been for 12 years, but I think it's really starting to get onto strong financial footing. Cool. I don't have much uh, more to add, but I I think I got a nice email here to wrap it all up. So I'm going to read it to you. Hi there, Mark and Mark, two Gen DTSers here that love what you guys do week in and week out. Tonight, we are filled with an explosion of emotions with that unexpected finale. You have both mentioned on several episodes that the inconsistencies and or moments of influence on behalf of the FIA could be a turnoff for new fans, but we uh, we hadn't really connected with that sentiment until the last two races of this season. What advice or feelings would you share to those of us feeling very lucky to have witnessed a truly remarkable season, but at the same time left feeling with some disillusionment about the lack of consistency and clarity when it comes to officiating? P.S. After each race, my girlfriend and I both turn to each other and say, can't wait to hear what they say on the podcast. Thank you so much for all you both do, and especially for your respective openness to support and discuss mental health. Parker and Danielle from Bend, Oregon. So a great, uh, you know, great email. Glad to, to hear the, uh, you know, a check-in from the Beaver State. Awesome email. So what do you say? How do what 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 advice do we give to them? Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, I'm going to buy you a little bit of time. Okay, thank to you. Compose yourself and articulate in your head a response. So yeah, I don't know to, if I can do that you, right now. Parker Daniel, thank you so so much for all the support. Your incredibly kind words mean so so much to all of us. And and sometimes I have to pinch myself thinking that there's people, literally people, like human beings out there that go to their podcast feed and refresh it to see if a new episode's dropped. So that to me is still a little bit surreal. I I think for me, I'm all about looking at the positive and the upside. And and I think, like I said earlier, I think this is a watershed moment and it's an inflection point for Formula One Mm -hmm. and for the FIA. And I think we've spoken so much about how there is so much low-hanging fruit and so many obvious things that you can do. And some of those are the fact that, hey, look, we rely on volunteer unpaid marshals. Why is that? Why can't we why can't we recruit and pay and compensate people to do that role? That's a very, very challenging role. And likewise, we go into every Grand Prix weekend with multiple volunteer stewards. We're talking about the people that are officiating a multi-billion dollar sport, and maybe they're great, but the fact that they're different every Grand Prix weekend just kind of fuels this inconsistency because even if they're great and they know motorsport and they have a motorsport background, they're different every single race weekend. Why don't we have four, eight, or 12 dedicated, full-time, heavily compensated stewards that travel the world so we get some consistency to the approach when it comes to officiating and why does Michael Massey have to do 118 jobs why does he have to manage safety in real time and competitive officiating in real time why can't he have two people that report to him one that owns each of those buckets there's there's so much low-hanging fruit and I wouldn't have had any confidence that any of this is would have been visited but I think based on what 
the Formula One has experienced over the last week, especially from a PR perspective, I think their hand is going to be forced and hopefully the sport is going to be better for it. Yeah, you know, the, the, I, I don't know what to really else uh, other to say. I mean, how am I going to deal with it? Let's let's just say that there's probably going to be a pint of Cherry Garcia, you know, or something else from Ben and Jerry's or something, you know, so, something from the freezer aisle in the form of uh, emotional eating, you know, and it's just, <laughs> I don't know what to say or to do at this time because it's, uh, yeah, it, it's just, I mean, obviously, as we said off the top of the show, there, there, there's obviously a lot of anger there, which you can understand. And I, I mean, even the best of us that, uh, that, that maybe weren't talking from, uh, you know, like really um, pulling for, for either one of them, like myself, uh, you know, even I feel really cheated and left down or let down by the, you know, this finale to a a super exciting and and memorable season. And it's, yeah, it, but it's over now. And I know it just kind of leaves us all hanging and I, I really don't know how to really deal with it properly other than, well, it's over with and it's done with. And, Let's hope whatever comes out of this clarity exercise or whatever the hell they're calling it is, uh, you know, that, that it doesn't provide us with more questions and more suspicions and that's, that, that, that it's resolved properly. I guess that's, that's the only thing I can say. And well, you know, but on the flip side is, you know, as sad as I am in a way that the season's over, I'm also incredibly relieved because as as intense as an enjoyable as it was and the fact that it looked like in the summer anyways that this this battle that had been going on up until the summer break looked like it was going to continue all the way through the season and and the stakes just got ratcheted up each and every week i'm kind of glad that intensity is over for now because it was just becoming emotionally a little bit uh, too much to kind of deal with all almost week in week out and it it just sort of seemed inevitable that Every little thing that happened, every perceived or actual incident between these two guys would just, uh, it, it was like a powder keg waiting to explode. So, I completely, anyways. and I know we, I know we got to go here. We've been rambling on for two hours, but <laughs> seems I, like I it. very much agree that this, this season mm. had some incredibly exciting moments. It went down to the absolute wire, which is typically, I think, what we would all wish and hope and pray for at yeah. the onset of a new campaign. But I was relieved. I was so relieved when this championship was over. And now I look to next year and we're going to have 23 races over an even more compressed calendar. <laughs> we all know that Formula One wants to get to 25 races. I I, I worry about how much uh, how much energy we'll all expend, especially if it's close. But yeah, this, totally uh, right. this championship had exciting moments, frustrating moments, infuriating moments like last weekend. But ultimately, I, I'm relieved it's over. But it's not really over because the the frustration and the questions and the anger from last weekend haven't recite haven't rescinded rescinded. What's a word that means going away? Going away. How about yes, the, leaving? All those angry feelings have not gone away, and I'm dissipated. still as frustrated as Dissipate. I was on Sunday. Dissipate. Dissipated. There they have are. not dissipated. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn off my microphone now, so you can turn off the lights and, <laughs> and put send this, everyone this episode to bed. It's, it's funny too. Just uh, as, as we read that uh, lovely email from Parker and Danielle, Rocky in the live chat, also in Bend, Oregon. So th- there seems to be a bit of a community Whoa. there. And then he's asking. He says, "Ask what a Cincinnati FC fan does." I I don't know if I should ask, but I'm kind of wondering. Sounds like we got a soccer 
fan here. And being from Oregon, I'm wondering if he's a Timbers fan because, you know, got the whole Cascadia thing going on with Whitecaps and uh, Seattle and Portland. But uh, anyways, very, very cool that uh, (laughs) it's a small world. I think that's awesome. Anyways, I'm starting to lose my voice. I need to get uh, something to drink. So I think this is the the perfect place uh, to wrap it up. Guys, thank you so much for your support all season long. Thank you uh, for for being there right from the very beginning or from the very last uh, week. If you've only uh, just uh, joined in and found this podcast, uh, we appreciate you uh, guys all being uh, in there uh, for for however long you've been here. Anyways, that's it. That's a wrap. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on uh, on YouTube. If you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScuderiaF1Pod. Send us an email at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com promise I'm going to answer some of these ones very, very soon. Now that I got all my free time back, it's wonderful. Anyways, have a great week and we'll be back very, very soon. Bye for now. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.